You know, we're going through this series called Behind the Scenes where we look at various highlights from Scripture, uh, highlights of, of uh, elements that many of us know, that many people who aren't even believers in Jesus or God know about. We looked at David and Goliath. We looked at Daniel and the lion's den. We looked at Jonah and the fish. Uh, today we're going to look at another unique example of a person uh, living a highlight life and then the behind the scenes of what led him there. You know, a lot of times in our own lives, we look at other people's highlight reels, especially in the social media world. We look at the highlights of what's going on in somebody else's life, and we get, well, I don't know if jealous is the right term, but we get a little frustrated with our personal experience and what we see in their highlight life, in, their new, in our news feed and what they're posting on their walls or on uh, in our newsfeed or what we're seeing in their stories that they're putting on Instagram or on Facebook. And we say, why can't, you know, they're going on a whole lot of vacations, you know, or uh, they're buying a, another pair of new shoes. Uh, and we think, well, I haven't had new shoes in two and a half years. And even then it was hand-me-downs, you know, and we, we get a little frustrated at what we see from somebody else when we compare their highlights to our behind the scenes. Because when we analyze our own lives, we don't analyze our, our own lives by the highlights. We analyze our personal lives by the behind the scenes. You know, I was uh, uh, watching, I, I follow a lot of people, variety of people on social media. And one guy I was following, he's a, he's a pastor out in California. And he's a guy, he seems always joyful, always smiling, always bubbly, always over the top. I'm like, man, that guy's just consumed with joy. And he started this church, and movie stars are coming to his church, and he's all over the place. He wrote this book, and it was blowing up, and people are talking about it all over the place. And, um, and it seemed like he's got it all together. I mean, this guy's got everything. He's got the highlight life. Uh, and then I read his book. And uh, he has a daughter. He and his wife have a daughter with unbelievable complications. Wasn't expected to live beyond a couple years. Now she's 10 or so, and she's far exceeded the doctor's uh, expectations. And, uh, but it, it takes 24-hour daily uh, uh, care uh, between he and his wife, daily struggles, daily difficulties. But even in the midst of that, even in the midst of the difficulties and the fear and the sleepless nights, and the cleanup that is involved and everything that goes into this guy and his family. His name's Chad Veach, and the book is called Unreasonable Hope. It's incredible. I encourage you to read it. Um, but it, the, the thing about that really struck me is the book doesn't end with, uh, here's the resolution. Like you know, They go through the, ish, the, the struggle, and, and, and there's not a resolution to the struggle. The resolution is that they find hope and joy in Jesus, even in the midst of the struggle. And it's there that they demonstrate great faith, that every moment for them, from what I gathered from his book and has have a huge impact on me, is that every moment can be a highlight when it's approached with great faith. And that was demonstrated in Chad's life. Every moment was a highlight when he approached it with great faith, that God was able to do great things. It was a perspective shift uh, having to focus on Jesus and find joy in Jesus, not in circumstance, not in situations, but in Jesus. And so every moment's a highlight when approached with great faith. And we're going to see an instance of great faith today. You see, we're going to be looking at the man Moses. Moses had a life that was defined by highlight reels. I mean, if you think of highlights of Scripture, this 
man, Moses might be on the poster, right? I mean, you got Jesus on the cross, you got creation, Adam and Eve, and you got Moses uh, doing his deal. Moses was a guy who uh, uh, was out in uh, the middle of nowhere. He, he had uh, been raised in the palace of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He'd been raised in the palace, and about when he was 40 years old, he was walking around in his city where he was. The thing about Moses was Moses was a Hebrew. Moses was an Israelite. His people were slaves. And uh, Moses, though, had been adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. And he was raised in the palace. But he was raised not thinking he was an Egyptian. He was raised knowing he was a Hebrew with the rights and privileges of royalty being in the, the king's house. And so this day he was walking out. He's about 40 years old, walking out in his city, and he sees an Egyptian guard beating one of the Israelite slaves, and he loses it. He attacks the Egyptian guard. He starts beating the Egyptian guard, and he loses control, and he kills the Egyptian guard. And word gets out. Moses gets scared. He's fearful, uh, and so he runs for his life. He flees. Uh, he runs as far as he can. He gets out into the middle of nowhere in this land called Midian, and he, he goes to live with this one guy and falls in love with this guy's, one of his daughters, marries this guy's daughter, and he lives with this guy for 40 years, uh, helping around the house, helping around the field. He helps raise the sheep. Uh, and so Moses is now 80 years old, 80 years old, and he's out taking care of the sheep, and he comes across so something many of you know. He comes across a bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up, the burning bush. And he approaches this burning bush because he's amazed. The thing's on fire, but it's not burning up. Still got green leaves, still got flowers. What's going on? He approaches the bush, and God's voice comes out of the bush and says, Moses, take your sandals off. The ground upon which you stand is holy. So Moses takes his sandals off, and he starts having a conversation with God. And God says, Moses, I'm going to send you back to the Egypt you ran away from, back to the Egypt that you're a fugitive from, back to the Egypt where you killed a guy, and they want your head. I'm going to send you back there to bring my people out of slavery. Moses says, God, this is impossible. He said, God, I can't do this. This is crazy. And then God proceeds to, to give Moses signs and miracles of his power, of God's power. God makes Moses' stick turn into a snake and then back into a stick. God gives Moses leprosy and then heals him in an instant. Uh, and then Moses starts complaining to God. He says, God, I, I don't even talk well. He says, God, I don't even talk good, God. And God says, Moses, stop complaining. Your brother Aaron's just over the hill. He's coming to see you, and he's going to be your spokesman. He's going to be your communication director. He's going to be your press secretary. And so Moses, Aaron, Moses' family, they book it to Egypt, and they get there. And they meet with the Israelite leaders, and they say, hey, guys, God sent me here to bring you out of slavery. And they said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And so Moses shows them the miracles that God showed him, and uh, they believe. And then Moses goes into Pharaoh, and Moses begins to speak to Pharaoh. Through Aaron's speaking, Moses, God speaks to Moses. Moses speaks to Aaron. Aaron speaks to Pharaoh. And so they go into Pharaoh, and, and Moses tells Pharaoh through Aaron, he says, Pharaoh, you need to let the Israelite slaves leave or some not good things are going to happen. It's time to let them go. You force them into slavery. You see, the Israelites were just people living in the country until they grew too numerous. And the Egyptians got scared and forced them into slavery. Moses says, it's time to let them go. God says, let them go. Pharaoh says, no, I'm not letting my slaves go. I'm not losing my workforce. I'm not losing my labor force. And uh, Moses says, fine, if you don't do this, there's some stuff that's going to happen. You sure you don't want to do this? Moses, and Pharaoh says, no, we're not doing this. 
and these plagues start to come. The Nile River turns entirely to blood, killing everything that's in it. And uh, Moses comes to Pharaoh, says, we let him go now. Pharaoh says, yes, make it stop. So they stop that plague. Pharaoh says, nope, change my mind, now let him go. And more plagues begin to come. It's the same thing every time, whether it's gnats covering the land or locusts covering the land or flies covering the land or frogs covering the land or all the animals dying, all these things, darkness covering the entire land except where the Israelites live. Uh, And every time Moses would come into Pharaoh and say, hey, Pharaoh, you want to stop? You want to let him go now? Pharaoh would say every single time, yeah, I'm going to let him go. Y'all can leave. And then as soon as he said that and the plague was lifted, uh, Moses uh, or or Pharaoh would say, oh, change my mind. Y'all aren't leaving now. And another plague would come. Well, nine plagues came including fire from the sky, hail. I mean, it was, it was crazy, all this stuff that's going on. And Pharaoh denies them uh, or double crosses them every time. Well, I guess the last one, and Moses comes into Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, we've had nine plagues now. You need to let the people go. God says, let my people go. Or you're not going to like this last one. All the firstborn are going to die in Egypt if you don't let the people go. Pharaoh says, you are not leaving. You're not leaving. I don't believe it. Moses leaves, and all of that night, all the firstborn die uh, in Egypt, except those that are under God's protection. And uh, Pharaoh calls Moses in, and he says, get out of my country. Take your people and leave. So Moses goes, all the Israelites, they don't take time, you know, couple days to bring in the movers and the whole deal they don't do any of that they pack up everything they i mean they just grab their backpack their go bags and they leave and immediately they're leaving well after they've been gone a little while pharaoh changes his mind again as he constantly does and uh he says well we just lost all of our slaves all of our workforce uh so we're gonna get them so he 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 grabs his whole army pharaoh does grabs his whole army and they chase down the israelites and they come across them at uh or they they back them into a corner uh, with them, the Egyptian army on one side and the Red Sea on the other side. They've got nowhere to go. They're trapped. And so what Moses does is he prays and he lifts up his hands and the Red Sea parts. I mean, just right down the middle. And the whole thing splits into two pieces. And it's not just muddy ground here. God does not just doesn't just split the Red Sea. He, he makes the ground where the water was completely dry so it would be easier to walk through. So the Israelites see this. Moses lifts his hand. God parts the Red Sea. The Israelites start walking across the Red Sea. The Egyptians see this, and they start chasing after the Israelites right through the middle of the Red Sea. All the Israelites are running through the Red Sea. They get to the other side. The second that the last Israelite foot is off the seabed of the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army is completely in the middle of it, the sea collapses on them. And in one moment, the entire Egyptian army is wiped out. And Egypt is devastated from that point forward. And the Israelites are free. Now, Moses, I mean, highlight real, right? I mean, he parted the Red Sea. This is on the poster. And, and the people go out and they're celebrating. And God says, all right, now it's time to go to the, to the country I've prepared for you. All you have to do is go up in there and take it. And it's yours. I'm with you the whole way. You're going to win. You're going to conquer this thing. And so he says, okay, let's send a reconnaissance group out there. And we can see, check it out. And so they send a group of guys, 12 guys, to go check out this land. And they go from the southernmost part to the northernmost part and come back. And they say, man, that land, it's, 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 it's uh, chock full of good fruit, uh, of, of good animals. This is, this is the land, as, as God said, flowing with milk and honey. This is the promised land. And two of the guys 
of the 12 who went say, yeah, let's go up there. We can take it. God's with us. But the other 10, they give a report that, yeah, everything in that land's good. But the people there are huge. They will kill us. We're not fighters. We've been slaves for generations. We can't go up in there and, and, and take this land from these people. This is impossible. And so the people basically take a vote right there. And a consensus was, they, you know, they took a vote and democracy ruled that day, sadly, uh, because they disobeyed God and went with the will of the people. And the will of the people was in fear. And so they didn't go into the land. And so God came to Moses and said, I'm going to wipe them all out. I'm just going to wipe them out. Moses, don't do that. And so what God did, did was he told Moses, all right, Moses, you're going to lead these people around until every one of those ones who doubted me is dead. Until every one of those ones who did not have faith is gone. And so that's what they did. So they did that. They walked around until every single one of the people who doubted that God could do what he said he was going to do was removed from their midst. And it took 40 years. So just, you know, for those of you who aren't good at math, Moses was 40 when he ran away from Egypt. He was 80 when God brought him back. And they wandered around in the middle of nowhere uh, until all the uh, people of little faith were removed for 40 years. And so Moses then dies at 120 years old. And we, this is, I love this. Scripture says Moses died with all of his strength and his eyesight. He was still able to see better than 2020, I would imagine. And he had the strength of a young man. And he didn't die of natural causes. God just made him die. And God took him and buried him somewhere completely different where no one could find him. And then uh, a young man named Joshua was put in charge, and he led the people in, and they conquered the land. They conquered it. I mean, they, 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 they completely conquered it. But if that's Moses' life, and I mean, it was just, I mean, it's like highlight after highlight, right? I mean, you got the burning bush, and you got the Red Sea, and you got uh, uh, leading the people, and you got, he, there was even one time, he, Moses went up on a mountain to talk to God, and he was up there for a while. The Ten Commandments and all that. But, but he said, God, I want to talk to you. I want to see you. So God put Moses in this little alcove, in this little cave type deal, and put his hand over Moses, and God walked by. And then God removed his hand and allowed Moses to see his back. And God's glory from behind was so massive that when Moses came off of the mountain, the Scripture says he glowed. I mean, he physically glowed, and it was overwhelming to the people of Israel. They said, Moses, you got to cover that up. So Moses went, and he took his full body covering, and he even put a veil over his face so no one could see the glowing except when he went in and talked to God, and he would take it off uh, to talk to God. This is Moses. I mean, this is the highlight life, which is the title of the message today. The highlight life. The highlight life. That, that your life is such a highlight that you go from one highlight to the next highlight to the next highlight. Almost like every day is a highlight. Well, where did all this start, right? How did Moses get to this point? Well, we're going to jump back to the very beginning when Moses was born and see what set him up for a life of great faith, what set him up for the opportunity of a life of great faith. And it didn't start with his own faith. It started with a few other people having faith that were surrounding him. So we're going to be in Exodus chapter 2. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, you can open it to Exodus chapter 2, or you can just check out on the screen below me. It'll be right there too. Exodus chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. So this, where we join Moses here in Exodus chapter 2, uh, Moses is about to be born into Egypt, and his people are slaves. And they become so numerous um, that the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, fearing um, their dominance, 
uh, calls in the midwives, the, the, the Israelite women who are delivering the Israelite babies, and they tell them, you need to allow, if the baby you deliver is a girl, let her live. If the baby you deliver is a boy, kill it. And so the Israelite mid midwives go and they deliver babies and they deliver both boy girls, uh, boy babies and girl babies. And they go back to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, why aren't you killing the boy babies? And the midwives tell Pharaoh, well, you know, we get there and the Israelite women are a lot stronger than your Egyptian women. And so they had the babies before we even get there. Uh, and it says in Scripture that God blessed them because they, in faith, defied the king. And so in Pharaoh, what he did then is he put out an edict. He put out an order. He signed into law that anyone who saw a baby Hebrew boy could grab it and throw it into the Nile River. That was the law. That was the world into which Moses was born. Not only was he born into slavery, he was born into a world where he was illegal. It was illegal for him to be alive. And so that's where we are in Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. Now this is important. Levite. You got a man from the tribe of Levi goes and takes a wife from the tribe of Levi. You see, because uh, the Levites throughout the Old Testament scripture, the Jewish scripture, they were the faithful group. I mean, everyone, every one of the Israelites, every one of the Hebrews, they struggled and they slipped up and they, they did not follow God from time to time. And there were Levites who did that too. But more than any other tribe, the Levites were, were faithful to God. And so you got a faithful Levite man coming to a faithful Levite woman and they get married uh, and she gets pregnant. Look at verse two. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Now, remember, it's illegal to have a baby Hebrew boy. And she has a baby Hebrew boy. Uh, and so what she does, is she tries to hide him for three months. She does everything she can to hide him for three. She knows that, that this is not God's plan for him to die. She knows that's not God's will. And so she does everything she can to faithfully follow God. And so she hides Moses. She's probably not the only one trying to hide her baby, but she hides Moses uh, as best she can. But then the three months are up and uh, the babies <laughs> are hard to uh, keep quiet for very long. And she was able to do it for three months and then that faded away. Uh, look at verse... Three. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. So his mother goes, when she can't hide him any longer, she takes a basket she has in her house. It's made of bulrushes, and she coats it on the inside and out with his bitumen and pitch. She, she's basically making it waterproof, all right? And she goes, and she puts Moses in the basket, and she puts him down by the river where uh, he would be safe until, you know, he would need to eat, or she would feed him, or he, you know, needed a diaper change or whatever. Uh, she would go and do that periodically, but... She kept him down there. That's where the waves and the wind would disguise any noises he would make. And so she puts him there among the reeds, the, the tall grass close to the bank. And he's in there among the tall grass. The current wouldn't carry him away. The, the, the wind wouldn't blow him away either because the reeds would keep him confined there. Uh, but what we see there in those three verses is, is that Moses' mother doesn't panic. Now, it's also interesting to note 
Moses is going to have interaction with uh, several women throughout this passage of Scripture we're looking at, but none of them have a name here. We find out their names later. We don't find it out here. But in this particular passage, they're not named. Moses' mother is named Jochebed. Uh, his sister's named Miriam. And his mother, Ma Jochebed, does not panic. Her, her actions are presented here calmly, um, <laughs> which is interesting because Moses wrote Exodus decades and decades later when he's in his 80s or 90s or 100s, somewhere in there. He wrote Exodus. And so he, he, he's... Uh, writing about his mother's response here in a very calm fashion, um, but undoubtedly there was most there was probably a level of anxiety with her situation, um, but she responds even still with calmness, uh, and I would even say faith. Just as the midwives from Exodus chapter one responded in faith, she demonstrates faith here, faith in God's provision, faith in God's protection. Because, I mean, she kept Moses at home for three months, and then she put him in a basket in the Nile. She displayed great confidence in God's ability to take care of them, in God's power of protection. She uh, demonstrated great faith in uh, what God could do. And that's the thing about great faith is that great faith is confident faith. Great faith is confident faith. And Moses' mother demonstrated great faith by having confidence that God was going to do uh, uh, what uh, he would in protecting Moses and protecting her in bringing his people in deliverance because great faith is confident faith and confident faith is always active. Confident faith is always active. It, it, confident faith, faith is shown through actions. If, if, if our actions don't back up the faith that we profess to have, then our faith is non-existent. We must have actions in order for our faith to be real. Not that actions are the reason for the faith, but actions are the proof of the faith. And so this woman have great faith in the power of God, and that is demonstrated in her actions of, that she takes for Moses in protecting him for three months and then in, uh, putting him in the river after that uh, for a little while longer. And, th and that's even another point. You see, great faith is confident faith, but great faith is also creative faith. Great faith is creative faith. You see, she was creative, and she knew she had a basket, so she took the basket, and she uh, coated it inside and out, making it waterproof, put it in the river. She got creative in how she was going to fulfill what God had laid on her heart to protect this child. She didn't just say, well, you know, uh, we'll just, God will just bring protection like he has at some point in the past. God will just do the same as he did before. God will just do whatever. God will just do it all over again. But that really is, is lazy faith when we don't try to, you know, get creative in, in responding to God. That's lazy faith. And lazy faith is small faith. Small faith is lazy faith. But this, we're talking about great faith. This woman demonstrated great faith that would translate into Moses later on in life having great faith. A great faith is a creative faith because also we worship a creative God. We have faith in a creative God in all of the creation that he has done. Uh, C.S. Lewis actually said God never does the same thing in the same way twice. He never does. God is creative. He will always come in a different fashion and do things in a different way. So our worship of him should also be uh, uh, complementing his creativity. If we're worshiping a creative God, we should be creative in our worship, creative in our faith, creative in our response of faith. So great faith is a confident faith. Great faith is a creative faith. Uh, but also, uh, being creative, 
she also, his, uh, Moses' his mother, takes Moses. Remember what the law was, right? That if uh, anybody sees a Hebrew baby, they're supposed to throw him where? In the Nile. So what did Moses' mother do? She took Moses, put him in a basket, and put him where? In the Nile. So technically, she was obeying the law, she, <laughs> right? She was being creative. She technically took Moses, put him in a basket. Maybe she just held him like an inch over the water and dropped the basket. Oh, I threw him in the water. I obeyed the law. So however it is, uh, great faith is confident faith. Great faith is creative faith. Now look at verse 4. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. His sister stands at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now, Moses' sister is Miriam. We find that out later. We don't know that here uh, yet. But she stands at a distance. Now, what's interesting about this is Miriam, his sister, is probably under 12, under 12 years old. Because at 12, she would be expected to either... Uh, have uh, some house, you know, some housework to do, or have a job somewhere. So Mary's probably under twelve years old, so she could watch Moses and not draw suspicion to herself as she's hanging by the river and not working off somewhere else. And so she sees there by the river, keeping an eye on Moses. Uh, look at verse five. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women. Walk beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. So the daughter of Pharaoh comes down to the river to take a bath, and she's got her women up on the shoreline, possibly, you know, keeping guard or whatever. And the women up on the shoreline can't see the basket because of the reeds, but Pharaoh's daughter has a different perspective where she is, being lower, being down at the water, and so she sees the basket. Maybe she even hears Moses from where she is. Uh, and so she sends her one of her servants to go over there and grab it. Uh, look at verse uh, 6. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. So <laughs> look at that. She opened it, opened the basket. She sees Moses. Moses was crying. Now, this is important. She took pity on him recognizing it's one of the Hebrew babies. She maybe, I mean, the different look, the, we don't know how she was able to recognize it, but she did. Uh, she took pity on him, took pity on him. And at this point, she hasn't made a decision yet what she's going to do. She has her father's law that says she should pull him out of the basket and throw him in the river. Uh, but she also has the pity. She has the compassion. She's experiencing that. She has a moment where she can make a decision and she's about to. Uh, look at verse 7. Then, his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? So Moses' sister comes down and approaches Pharaoh's daughter. She approaches Pharaoh's daughter. She gets past the, the servants who are on the shoreline, and she approaches Pharaoh's daughter and says, Hey, you want me to go and grab one of the Hebrews who can come and nurse the babies for you? This was a common practice. And so this is phenomenal to me. I mean, in great boldness, she steps up and approaches royalty, approaches Pharaoh's daughter who has the authority to put her to death. And she approaches Pharaoh's daughter whose father made it illegal for her brother to be alive. And she approaches Pharaoh's daughter and says, do you want me to go and find you a nurse for that baby? And see, Moses' sister is making a presumption, is making an assumption that Pharaoh's daughter is going to allow Moses to live. And so she says to her, do you want me to go and find someone? Uh, 
And so here's the moment of decision for Pharaoh's daughter. Here she is. Uh, look at verse 8. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. That's where she made her decision. She was going to allow this baby to live, put this baby under her protection. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me. I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. So Pharaoh's daughter says to Moses' mom, who Moses' sister went and got, take this child away and nurse him and I will give you your wages. So she grabs Pharaoh's or, or grabs Moses' mother and says, you go do your motherly duties. I mean, Pharaoh's daughter doesn't know this is Moses' mom. You go do your job as a mother and I will pay you. I'll pay you. And it's probably a pretty good wage. And this is Pharaoh's daughter, right? And so she was going to get paid to do what she was already doing. But now she was going to be under the protection of the palace. She didn't have to do it in secret. I don't know if she got a get-out-of-jail free card or she got a stamp or a ring or something to let everybody know it's okay. Don't touch these people because they're under my protection. But Pharaoh's daughter allows Moses' mother to keep Moses out in the open and alive to defy her own father's law, edict, order. But it all began in that decision-making moment for Pharaoh's daughter when she was approached by Moses' sister, Miriam. She made this faithful request, this, this request that was filled with courage. I mean, to step up and make this request it really boggles my mind. She gets the protection from the palace for Moses and the protection from the palace for her mother and gets payment for her mother. Because she demonstrated great faith, just as she saw in her mom. She saw the faith of her mother, and then she demonstrated that great faith in her actions there before Pharaoh's daughter by the river, walking past the servants, asking Pharaoh's daughter the question, do you want me to go and find a nurse for you? See, because great faith is courageous faith. Great faith is courageous faith. You can't have great faith if it's not courageous, if it's not bold, if it's not standing out and doing what God desires over and above anything else that would get in the way. Fear is not great faith. Fear squelches great faith, but great faith crushes fear, crushes it, kills it. And so Miriam demonstrated great faith by having this great courageous faith and it's in this 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 instant at this beginning of Moses's life surrounded by women of great faith his mother his sister that set him on a path that would change him forever to where he had a highlight real life burning bush uh, a parting of the red sea seeing God move with the plagues, delivering the people out of Egypt, seeing God in a powerful, powerful way. And we all have that same potential for a highlight life. We all have that same potential for a highlight life. Not just where little moments, little spurts or highlights, but where every moment is a highlight. Every single instant, every single day can be a highlight so that our life is itself a highlight. We have a highlight life. And that is established by faith, uh, a faith-filled activity of those who came before. 
You see, God surrounded each of us with people of faith, men and women of faith who have had influence on us from time to time. That doesn't mean you haven't been hurt by people who have claimed to be people of faith. They're still human. They still sin. It's not God's desire that there would be any sin. It's not God's desire, God's plan that anyone would cause you damage or cause you harm or cause you great emotional distress. That's not God's plan. That's the enemy bringing uh, sin and, and temptation and devastation to our lives. God's plan is not that. God's plan is highlights. God's plan is a highlight life. Jesus said, I came to bring an abundant life, an abundant life for all of God's people, an abundant life. And it begins with believing in Jesus, that he is God's son, that he died for our sins to pay for our sins, and then he rose from the dead so we can live after we die. That's where it begins. That's where the highlight life begins. And then the highlight life can go on from there every single day, depending on our perspective, depending on how we view our life. We can have a highlight life at every single moment if we demonstrate great faith, great faith of activity, just as Moses' mother did and Moses' sister did and Moses did later on in life. It begins with having a great faith demonstrated in, in a confident faith, in a creative faith, uh, in a courageous faith. Faith. You can have a, a, a great faith-filled highlight life from now on. You can't change the decisions you made in the past. You say, man, I can't have a highlight life because I did X, Y, and Z. I did so many other things in the past. I can't have a highlight life. Well, the highlight life isn't dependent upon the past. The highlight life is a decision you make now that can change your forever. Your past, you can't change the past. All that you can impact is where you're going. You can't change where you've been. You can change where you're going, but the decision you make right now, will you have great faith? Will you follow Jesus from this point forward? From this point forward, will you be faith filled and you are still here so God still has something specifically designed for you to accomplish specifically designed for you to accomplish he specifically designed you to accomplish a thing that he designed you to accomplish and only you can accomplish it and you're still here because he still has it for you to accomplish I had a, a seminary professor back in the day who used to say God does not have a never to be used again shelf he, you, you can't do something in your life and then he says, well, you're useless to me. I'm going to put you on this shelf and you're just going to sit there until you die because you're useless. That's not the way God works. That's not the way God works. He uses flawed people all the time. He, I'm a flawed person and he uses me. He uses people all throughout scripture. I mean, Moses killed a guy. God used him. David killed a guy and committed adultery. God used him, called him a man after his own heart. Um, we see God uses Peter. He ran in fear. Peter swung a, a sword and cut a guy's ear off. And God used him to lead his church. God uses anybody and everybody, if you're willing, from this day forward. You can't change your past. You can't change it. You can't change what other people do to you. You can't change how other people have acted. All you can affect, all you can impact is how you respond from this point forward. Will you live for God? Will you demonstrate great faith? Will you have great faith in Jesus from this point forward so that from here on out, you can live your highlight life and get your business done? You can get your business done from here on out, living your highlight life, so that when you get to heaven, you will receive the, the great proclamation that Scripture declares of, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. 
when we enter into heaven because of great faith. Make that decision now. Have great faith now and see what God has for you. He has great faith in you. God has great faith in you. That's why he still has you here. God has great faith in you. Will you have great faith in him? Maybe you need to start your great faith right now. Maybe you need to begin your great faith right now. Start somewhere. You've got to believe. Believe in Jesus right now. Believe that his death paid for all your sins. Believe that his resurrection bought you eternal life. Believe right now. And if you want to believe, put it in the comment section below. I want to believe. I want to believe. If you want to start a life of great faith, you say, man, I want to have great faith now. Put it in the comment section. I want great faith. I want to live in great faith, showing great faith because God has great faith in you. That's why you're here. Live for him. Live a life of great faith. Confident faith, creative faith, courageous faith from this point forward.